This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm speaking with Duena Welch. Duena is known for using social science to solve real life relationship issues. Her book, Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps from I Wish to I Do, is the first science-based dating book that guides men and women through every day, uh, every phase of dating from before they meet to until they make a commitment. Duena earned her PhD in psychology in 1998 and in 2009 launched the blog Love Science, which teaches research-based relationship advice. She's taught psychology at Austin, Texas universities, the University of Florida and Cal State, and is also a regular contributor on Psychology Today and eHarmony. Duena, thank you so much for being here. It's going to be a fun one. Duncan, thank you for inviting me. You are such a joy. It's just great to be here. Oh, well, I think, yeah, I've, uh, it's, it's going to be uh, it's a fascinating topic. And it's um like most relationship advice out there is kind of based on people's opinions, their own personal experiences, their politics, religion. But all your coaching approaches it in a much more in a different way. It's, it's kind of it's based in science, isn't it? What what makes I don't know what attracts what attracted you to that kind of that angle? What makes your approach so different? Well, the short answer is I'm a nerd. <laughs> the, the slightly longer answer is that uh, I wasn't very good at dating. And well, that's not quite true. I, I was good at dating. I was bad at picking. Okay. One of my readers wrote to me that she liked my book because her picker was broken and the book fixed it. And I thought, what a wonderful phrase. You know, I, my picker was broken, too. I, I didn't choose well. Um, people would tell me who they were and I wouldn't believe them. I would get cut people slack in areas where I shouldn't have. Uh, I would refuse to see things that I should have seen very clearly, but there are different pitfalls along the way. That one was mine. Um, I had a number of other pitfalls of course too, but ultimately I just kind of started wondering if anyone had done research into what makes happy relationships thrive or what helps people form happy relationships and uh, in fact, a lot of people had. And so I became an expert in it for my own benefit, actually. I didn't intend to share it with the world. And then after I'd been happily married for a while, my husband said, you know, you're always talking about this, always. And you should really, you should do this. You should write a book about it. And I resisted that for a number of years. But then I had a fan who liked my blog very much. And she started stringing it into a book. She started putting the articles sort of in order to have a book and... uh I thought, wow, there's going to be a book whether or not I want one. Maybe I should write it. <laughs> are there, would you say, are there, are there limitations to using science to answer relationship questions? Because I can totally see how having something objective can be really useful. But um, can there be like really be black and white answers to some matters of the heart? Like, because I don't know how, how where, where, where's, where's it? Like, where have you found it useful? Where is it like actually you've got to just go with like your heart, your intuition? So fortunately, science actually backs up into intuition to a large degree. It's not an either or world. It's a both and world. You can both use science and rely on your heart and your intuition. And I encourage you to use all the tools at your disposal. But, you know, to, to back up a little bit. So let's say that somebody tells you that they don't believe in science at all. And you say, oh, why not? And they say, well, you know, science says that that smoking causes cancer. But my grandfather lived to 100 and he smoked every day. Well, here's what science does. It tells us what happens to most people most of the time, and it actually predicts what will happen to most people most of the time, which is a substantial advantage over any other way of knowing. 
But here's what it doesn't do. It doesn't tell you what will happen to every person every time. Right? So your grandpa's an exception. Your grandpa's exceptional life does not make science wrong. And that's the limit of science. And in my book, I'm really, I hope, very clear about saying what I'm doing is giving you best practice, best odds for getting what you personally want in your love life, helping you to find that, helping you obtain it. Here's the path that works for most people most of the time. But your mileage may vary. Science tells us only what happens to most people most of the time. You may have a very unusual life. I know, I know that I, I was looking on your website. It was um, some of the uh, some of the topics and some of the things which, when you're working with some coaching clients, um, that you can focus on a lot. And I know, like, what what are some of the common mating myths that you come across again and again and again? That now that now that you know otherwise, every time you hear it, you're just like, no, that's not true. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question, Duncan. So a big one is uh, I've just come off a bad breakup. And so what I really need now is to just be alone or someone recently said to me, I need to walk the earth, you know, this, this idea of, and 80% of my clients are men, by the way, which may surprise some of your listeners and viewers today. But, uh, you know, this idea that, that we have to be strong and independent and that, uh, needing somebody else is weak and that you can only have a healthy relationship after you've got all your ducks in a row. And science is just really against that. So one of the more interesting studies on this to me is one done by a developmental psychologist named Mavis Hetherington. And Dr. Hetherington, um, she was studying people who were getting a divorce. So, you know, really serious loss. This isn't just a breakup. This is a breakup of such proportions that children are involved, whole families are involved, communities are involved, really, when you get a divorce. And so she interviewed um, the two people who were getting a divorce. She interviewed their children. And then she interviewed any new partners they had every year for 20 years. Really incredible stuff, really great science. And uh, what she found was that none of the following things helped people get over their heartbreak. None of them. It didn't help if you got more religion. It didn't help if you approached your guru. It didn't help if you got more therapy. It didn't help if you spent all your time alone. It didn't help if you spent all your time with friends. The thing that helped people reintegrate was none of the things that people will tell you help you. You know what it was? I want to know. Getting into a happy relationship with another person. We need love in our lives. The idea that we get better before we can have a good relationship is the reverse of what is real. What is real is we get better and do better after we're in a happy relationship interesting so like that is that is interesting so yeah i got uh okay detour i got I, I, was, I was trying to i was trying to i knew what i was going to talk about next and i was like i'm trying to think i was trying to think of like a more uh a smoother segue but screw it <laughs> tinder happen bumble okay so you can now get your phone out I actually don't even have a smart. I don't have an internet phone. I've I've I've, got, I've stopped using an internet phone, so I can't. But majority. Oh my of god! Get I want to interview out. you about how you did it. But anyway, do go on. So you get your phone out, and you can pretty much like get get a date within hours, within a day, within a couple of days. You know what do you? 
I guess it's the two part. Like, what do you personally think about that? And then what does maybe like the science say? Or is it, it might be too early for like there to be good science about this. I'm not sure. But when you hear those things, are you thinking, yes, finally, or like, no, like, oh no, we're going in the wrong direction? What a great question. Uh, nobody's ever asked me that one before. So <laughs> I, have, I have two thoughts about it. First of all, all my thinking about it is based on science. I try to base my opinion on science, not science on my opinion. Okay, good. <laughs> so uh, here's what we know for sure. In the United States, between about 2000 and 2008, one third of the people who got married in that time, not just in that survey, but in that time, married someone they met online. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. What's even more fascinating about the research, and I got access to the database. I actually saw the questions. I saw the data. I was given full clearance to access everything about this study. What's really more fascinating than how many people got married this way was how happy they were. People who met online were slightly happier than people who met any other way. Literally, you could meet someone in your neighborhood, but the person who met online was statistically had higher odds of being slightly happier than you with their marriage. Wow. Okay, so thought number one, the idea that uh, dating online has somehow damaged the courtship process is just bunk. Okay. But there's another side to this, and that is that it does matter how you meet. Did you invest in the process of meeting? Tinder requires no investment. Bumble requires no investment. A lot of websites require no investment. Who do you suppose you get on free dating sites? You get people who are ambivalent about whether they want a partner, by and large. Okay. Very so interesting. It's very, it's very important. And, and the data showed this, too, in that long, long-term study that I told you about. It's very important to use a paid dating site. The free dating sites attract people who often have so much ambivalence that they uh, get in the way of their own dating process and they may create a self-fulfilling prophecy of a non-starter or something that starts and maybe even lasts for years but never quite gets there. That's fascinating. Well, I'm still, I'm still, I've still got one third going through my mind. Yeah, it's really, I, I was stunned. And, what, you know, Duncan, perhaps I shouldn't have been because I met my husband online. And, in fact, yesterday was the ninth anniversary of when we got engaged. Congratulations. Yeah. So uh, I met him that way, and we're very happy. But I had assumed it was a fluke. But there we are, were swimming right along with the data as per usual. And Okay. So this was something which um... – I heard it heard a couple of times in a couple of interviews, and this really I found it, I found this really one in, this one interesting because often there's just with so many things there's often so many uh, different takeaways you know and there's so many different things we've got to wrap our head around. But you you said if you had to summarize all relationship science in just one sentence, and so this is for, this is uh, this is for all the listeners and audience who just like okay, give me just one thing, give me one thing. And you said, if you can find a partner who is kind and respectful, and you are kind and respectful also, and then your love life is going to go really well. If you can't, then it's not. I mean, you couldn't really get it more simple and like in a nutshell than that. But kind and respect on both sides, and those are you're, you're already ninety percent of the way there. Yeah. So that really does summarize the research. And what's interesting is a lot of people 
now don't seem to know what kindness and respectfulness look like. When you think of our current political climate, um, the United States is just, we, what we tell our children is that if you lie, if you cheat, if you um, are willfully hurtful to other people, you'll never achieve anything. You're going to be sent to the principal's office or whatever. But that's who's going to have the most powerful position in the entire world. He's actually gotten the most plum job that there is, right? So it's difficult to convince people that kindness and respectfulness matter when you see um, that the opposite really sometimes is rewarded, sometimes is rewarded greatly. It doesn't work in your personal life, though. I can tell you this for sure. And so what kindness and respectfulness really look like is, let's say your partner's had a bad day. Um, They still are able to and willing to put your needs and your emotions on a high enough plane that they attempt to treat you well. They don't use their bad day as an excuse for poor treatment. If they snap at you, they apologize. It's funny, sometimes my husband, his name is Vic, sometimes we'll say to each other, I need you to be nicer to me right now. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really helpful because nobody can be kind and respectful all of the time. But what you're looking for is someone whose default, what you're looking to be is someone whose default is to treat others with regard, to treat them well, to treat them as they would wish to be treated. Yeah, I was, uh, I was kind of a few hours ago. I saw a photo um, online of the two of you, and I actually thought to myself, I because I, I maybe it was because I'd implanted, I'd already like read about kind of respect like a few hours earlier. Um, but I suddenly saw, and he's got had such a big grin, and he looked like I was like, "That's a kind face," and I was like, "Okay, you you found yourself a kind and respectful man." <laughs> oh, he he's really wonderful. He um, he's a bit older than I am, and he retired a year and a half ago, two and a half years now. And uh, I see him less than I did when he was working full time because he's got nine volunteer jobs. His, his whole life is about serving other people. And, and, yeah, he, and is, he was holding this. I, I didn't even yeah. know what animal it was. It was like this cute, like I couldn't work out what it was. It was something like, it looked like a mix between a cat and a hedgehog. What was it? Oh, goodness. Only uh, Lord only knows. Did it have a ring around its tail? So it's our Quadamundi. So my husband's worked in zoos since he was 16. And uh, we have a Quadamundi that's a rescue from a zoo. The other Quadis were beating it up. I I don't even know what a Quadamundi is. (laughs) It's it's a South American raccoon. It was so cute. (laughs) They're they're really adorable, but I don't advise owning one. He's a biter. The, the the animal, yeah. not my husband. <laughs> so if if you if you had known what you know now, when you did back in the day, like I'm sure, like, I think you said that like, you would have saved yourself a lot of pain, a lot of heartbreak. Could you maybe like, does anything come to mind? Do you have any things that maybe that you did wrong and how you'd maybe react in that situation again? Like how did you, do you have any moments where it's just like, like, knowing now what you know, like you would have just approached that situation completely differently. Oh, I have so many. Do we have to you pick can, just you one? Can just, you, can, you can give me whichever ones you want. Uh, things I would, here's some things that I would certainly do differently and which in fact I did do differently with Vic. So back, you know, when I was first learning about this, these were the things I was doing, which I later found out were not serving me. And in fact, you know, they weren't serving me at the time, but I just hadn't put two and two together that these were the things that weren't serving me. Uh, chasing men. 
you know, calling them, asking them out, having sex very quickly in a relationship. Um, I'm all, I'm a feminist, mean, which doesn't mean I think women are better. It means I think women are, are the equivalent of men and that I want the same rights for all women as, as are generally enjoyed by men. But I confused being equal with having the same role in human courtship. And uh, what I've since learned is we are animals. We are. And uh, just like all the other mammals have a courtship ritual, humans do too. And when we don't abide the ritual, when we give... So all animals like peacocks and peahens, they have to give each other signals that show that I'm available and uh, I'm thinking about you as my partner. And if the peacock doesn't do the signals, if he doesn't give the signals that the peahen can recognize, then he's just out of luck. He doesn't get to mate. And same with the peahen. She has to give signals as well. Well, people have signals as well. And so one of the really powerful things I learned was that um, I needed to abide the human courtship ritual and stop treating it as a silly game that I could dispense with. That was probably the biggest lesson for me. The second biggest lesson was uh, something Maya Angelou could have told all of us and did tell all of us. When somebody tells you who they are, believe them. Interesting. You know, I was meeting people who were saying, essentially, I have a serious problem with drugs and alcohol. And I was thinking, oh, I, that'll be fine. Or people were saying, I have been unfaithful to everyone I have dated. Oh, I'm sure you won't be with me. You know, we all have a crystal ball. We really, really do, Duncan. And it's called the past. Whatever people have done in the past to cope is what they will do in the future to cope. Whatever they have done in the past in a similar circumstance is what they will do in the future in a similar circumstance. It's called the law of psychology for a reason. The past is the single biggest and best predictor of what someone will do. And I was not regarding that with the respect that I needed to. And uh, when I met Vic, I did all of this very differently. And uh, it was a charmed courtship and life's been a grand adventure. As opposed to like seeing what you're trying to like see. So they, they, they're they giving you all the evidence that they, they, they're giving you. And then rather than just interpreting, interpreting that how you want it to be, just take it at face value and actually be like, okay, alarm bells. Maybe this isn't one to invest a lot of time and energy in you know, from, from the outset, as opposed to realizing it when you're already in love, you're already in deep and you don't want to give up on it. Yeah. I really want everyone to, I love arranged marriage. I want you to arrange your own marriage. I don't want you to ask your parents to do it. I want you to do it. And so how you do this is know what you must have, find out quickly whether someone you are attracted to has what you must have. And if they do not stop dating them. There's this myth that going back to your question about myths, there's this, this myth seemingly um, globally, or at least through the Western world right now, that love is rare. And therefore, if you fall in love with someone, that's enough, it'll all work out. And the science is directly opposed to that. First of all, love is not rare. It's beautiful, but it's extremely common. And second of all, this means that you can fall in love with all kinds of people who are dead wrong for you. So wouldn't it be nice if you instead treated yourself so kindly that you found out quickly whether someone has what you need and then you let your heart go. What I see right now are what I call mini marriages. 
this is a situation where you meet someone, you get attracted, you have sex right away, you fall deeply in love, and then you start asking the hard questions. Oh my God. Now this is a painful time to learn that the hard questions have hard answers. It's really easy on the first few dates to find out that these hard questions have hard answers. Then you can walk because trust me, you can fall in love with someone else. Okay. So there's love. So love is common, but I saw what's your thoughts on, because I know that the phrase is used um, of the one. Um, Do you believe in that? Or is that just like, like you said, I mean, love is common. Can there be lots of the ones? Is the one just the one now? And then, you know, next month, next year, there could be a new one. Or like, what, what does the science say with regards to the one? Well, what a great question again. Uh, So one of my clients, the very first client I ever had, put it best. She said, I realize there are lots of potential partners for me, but once I'm with the one that I'm going to get married to, I want it to feel like he was the only possibility. Okay. And that's it, really. There are many possible partners for any of us, but ideally... Once you really create that bond and you get in deep with someone and you know them as no one else knows them and they know you the same way, then it feels like it had to be you. And I guess that I guess that is partly a choice, as in you can choose to commit yourself, commit to that relationship, commit to making this your the one for you, but then you could also likewise choose not to. And so I guess it's it's just that it's, it comes down to choice, doesn't it? Yes and no. We don't get to choose whom we love. We don't, I mean, that's, that's biological. Uh, One of my favorite studies conducted out of a lab by a guy named Randy Thornhill, they had uh, men wear t-shirts every night for several nights consecutively. And the men were not to shower. They were not to use any deodorant. And then they folded these t-shirts in up into what looked like little plastic Kleenex boxes with just a a hole in the top. And uh, they gave these t-shirts, these boxes to women to smell. They didn't tell the women anything about the the women didn't even know that this was a t-shirt. You know, they're just told we want you to smell what's in this box and rate it for sexual attractiveness. And what was really interesting was women found most sexually appealing the boxes that had a scent that showed a genetic complex that was very different from their own, what's called an MH1C, multihistocompatibility complex, meaning that mating with those men would produce offspring with the best uh, immune system responses. So women could smell this without even knowing what they were smelling. They just, we don't have any, in other words, we have a mating psychology that is unconscious. What we know is I want that. We don't know why we want it. No woman has conscious access to, I want that because my babies will be healthier. And yet they want that. And women can smell this and men can't. So at some level, attraction is not something that we choose. But what I'm saying is, among that subset of humanity that you are attracted to, then you have a choice about whether you let yourself go with this. And the way you make that choice, ideally, is you get to know them up front, carefully, before love, before sex, before deep investment. And you make the deep investment after you find out that they're the one for you. Good advice. And you, that was, uh, you're talking about the, the opposite in terms of like strong immune systems, but on the one hand, so it's important to find a partner who is similar to us, but then others say opposites attract. 
which one i mean are they both true or is it like you've got to find a partner who is similar to you or opposite opposite opposites attract which which one so it's very fascinating that this idea of opposites attracting has such strong appeal to people because science finds just the opposite they find that birds of a feather flock together and that similarity is what holds the center just doesn't tend to hold when opposites get together it tends to be very painful. You look at what people fight about. It's interesting. So these two scientists did research on uh, what people argue about. And they came up with a list of more than 25 issues. And every one of them began with the word differences. Every issue. None of them began with the concept of similarity. I think so. this has caused me to do some thinking about why it is that people insist that opposites attract when clearly if they do attract, it's briefly, and if they stay together, it's painful. So uh, why do we have that idea? I think we have that idea because no matter how similar you are to someone, you're not going to marry your clone. You know, you're going to choose someone who has some differences. And over time, since those will be the things that you argue about, you're going to think, oh, I married my opposite. But in point of fact, probably you didn't. Probably you just, like everybody else on the planet, have a few distinctions that cause you some grief and some pain if you don't know how to moderate that. There, and by the way, scientists have gotten very good at teaching people how to take these issues and make them much less painful. And uh, and so th- I think that's why people think opposites are <laughs> So if we could marry ourselves, we would. <laughs> Uh, kind of. <laughs> so we're yeah. all just arrogant. And if you're, you know, for the heterosexual among us, we would marry someone just like us, but you know, in a really hot opposite sex body. Yeah. <laughs> what does a fulfilled life mean to you? Well, mine's all about love and science, obviously. You know, to me, to be free to think deeply about issues that matter to me, and to have a rational fact-based basis for doing that. That's a gift. That's what a lot of my life is about. And it makes me, it really is very fulfilling to me. But the fact that, that I focus on love, that my whole life is about that, um, that's even more fulfilling. I can't imagine, you know, it, it's funny. My daughter told me the other day, she's 15. She said, mom, I figured out what I want to do, but nobody will pay me for it. And I said, oh, what's that? And she told me what it was. And I said, oh, people will pay you for that. Trust me on this. I I know how you can get paid for that. But I said, you know, love, when I was your age, if I had told somebody someday, I want my whole life to be about love and science and specifically the science of love, people would have laughed at me. Nobody would have believed that. I have been so fortunate to be able to really go boldly in in the direction of my dreams and create a life of meaning out of that. And uh, to the extent that people are able to do that, I, I really hope that they will. Great answer. What's one thing all our listeners can start doing today that will have a big influence on their lives? All right, this is a bit crass. I didn't realize I had a motto till I saw this on Facebook. It's kind of sad to have a, a flash of insight from Facebook from a meme, but I, but there you have it, I did. So here it is. Do no harm, but take no shit. That's, that's, you, you can, you can be as crass as you like. That's fine. <laughs> Do no harm, but take no shit. Yeah, that turns out to be my motto, Dun- Duncan. And, um, it has really transformed my life. Kindness and respectfulness do not mean living a life without boundaries. You must be kind and respectful to yourselves 
also. And that means no squatter's rights. People don't have the right to be in your life simply because they have been there. They must be treating you well to earn their place. So do no harm. Go out of your way to do good. But don't accept that which you wouldn't accept if it were happening to your best friend or your parents or your child or someone else you care about. Have standards that are loving to you. Well said. I totally agree. And last but not least, how can people find out more about you and your work? Where can we send them? Well, they can go to, well, there are a number of resources. If they simply want a free sample of the book and to learn more about the book, they can go to Amazon uh, or they can go to lovefactually, with an F, dot C-O. They can get a free chapter of the book, um, see what other people are saying about the book at either of those places. And if they want to write to me anonymously, I, I answer every query that I receive. They can go to my website, lovesciencemedia.com. Duena, thank you so much. I uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be go back to the beginning. I'm gonna listen over to this one and get some fa- get get my pen and paper out and learn. You know, re-listen and yeah, make some more notes. So it's been it's been really fascinating. And um, yeah, I will uh, let's see let's see if uh, I'll, if I I'll, I'll send you I'll send you a testimonial as and when I, I, I find my next girlfriend. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. This has been fun. Thank you so much for uh, for speaking with us today and sharing all your insight and wisdom. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm.